0: I'm Elwood, and this is our re-evaluation of Sucker Punch. Uh, Sucker Punch, for those unfamiliar, is a passion project in many ways of Zack Snyder, the man who sort of leapt to fame, first of all, by remaking Dawn of the Dead, to surprisingly positive reception, even from George Romero himself. And from there, he went on a rather unique Uh, career track to say the least he not only brought Watchmen to the screen after years and years in development hell but also gave us the Nazi Owl movie in Legends of Gaoud before joining with DC to give us both Man of Steel as well as Superman vs. Batman and more recently the Justice League movie Um, however at the same time he's a director that for one reason or another, it's caught a very diverse opinion of his work. There's people who rate his work really highly and then there's those who see him as being kind of very overrated and just perhaps don't get uh, the sort of films that he's using to make. And certainly Sucker Punch is one of the more unusual titles in his filmography and that's kind of one of the reasons I wanted to revisit it on this episode and because it is just so diverse. and I think even when we were talking about it... as between ourselves can mood to sort of like had sort of very different opinions on on where this film film was um which we'll obviously get onto in a minute but um if you haven't done already um you can obviously like and uh, follow us on twitter and facebook uh you can also check out our complete archive of episodes uh if you want to check out our blog which is moviesandtpodcast.wordpress.com on there uh for any of those sources you can obviously get in touch with us let us know your thoughts on any of the films we discuss uh on these episodes we'd love to hear from yourself and uh as always you can you can subscribe and follow us on both Podomatic and iTunes. So uh, wherever you happen to be listening to us, you know, leave us a review, leave us a rating. We'd uh, love to hear from yourself. But obviously, back to Sucker Punch. Um, opening thoughts, Kim. I mean, what do you obviously think of Sucker Punch?
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I when I started this movie up again, um, I have to say that the first time I watched it, I wasn't quite a fan. Um and then I thought about the fact that of how, how it was when I went back to Pompeii and Emily Browning was also in that movie. And (laughs) this was also the same reason that I went to watch sucker punch was because of Emily Browning. And I watched it around the same time. I think around the same time also. (laughs) So it's, 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 um, you know, Zack Snyder is kind of a hit and miss for me. Um, sucker punch in the second viewing definitely feels like I forgot a lot of stuff from the first viewing um but you know the movie itself is visually stunning um visually Zack Schneider is great like I find uh, that's never been a problem with this movie my problem with this movie was um more of like this disjointed feeling I get when I watch it um how things kind of Like, the story is kind of pieced together by fantasies, pretty much. And it feels like he had, like, you know, ten stories and he wanted to put it all together and uh, add some ogres here and add some giant robots there or add some, like... Uh, I don't know what those things are, zombie-ish, steampunk zombies of some sort <laughs> over there. And then, you know, add some five uh, killer hot ladies hold, uh, toting, like, cool weapons and in this fantasy world. And that was how he got all these fantasies and then pieced it together with one, like, big fantasy which covered up for the actual real world that they fell into. That's my main thing with the narrative. But, you know... To be honest, there's a lot of little details here that if you catch, um, it kind of makes sense a little bit more. I think I appreciated it a little bit more in the second viewing, but I still felt it was slightly repetitive um, because of the falling in and out of fantasies. You know, you go from that world, that kind of like uh, dance dancer, uh, I don't know, escort world and then you kind of (laughs) go into this um i don't know very violent um war apocalyptic world sort of war fantasy world and you kind of switch between the two and it, it it seems like i don't know it it just doesn't i feel like there's something missing i guess like the repetitiveness kind of gets me bored every once in a while and i'm just I don't know I wanted to like it I really do like I like so many elements of it and yet it's one of those movies that when I rewatch I just feel like you know among everything like I'm not gonna put a spo- I'm not gonna spoil it so but the ending bothers me a lot I hate movies that do that um, just because like I guess I understand why they did it but I hate yeah. movies that do that because you kind of in the end feel like you watch this for nothing and it kind of makes me really angry. <laughs>
0: you're not a fan of a downbeat ending
1: no i don't mind downbeat ending so much mm. as the fact you know i don't want to reveal it but it's just like it's kind of a downbeat ending and a certain type of downbeat ending okay. that i just i'm not a big fan of you know
0: that's okay i mean yeah i mean the film itself is as you said it's, it goes between many different sort of worlds um, that all exists within the head of Baby Doll, who's here played by Emily Browning, and who's, who, at, at the start, we see is being institution, institutionalized um, by her abusive stepfather, who basically um, doesn't take too kindly the fact that uh, Baby Doll and her sister have been left everything by their recently deceased mother, so he takes it upon herself to which he takes upon himself to basically uh, take these two girls out of the picture in the opening sort of sequence we obviously see that she baby girl is already this sort of determined feisty young lady who's not going to take no crap from anyone and in battling her stepfather accidentally kills her younger sister um, leading her to obviously being taken into this um, asylum where Her stepfather's basically bribed one of the orderlies, uh, Blue, here played by Oscar Isaac, Isaac, in a really sort of unrecognisable role. I mean, here he's taking a break from dropping panties and belt buckles in the Star Wars universe to play a real sort of scummy role. This is what I love, again, what I love about Oscar Isaac, the fact he's a human chameleon at times when he wants to be, because when you look at this, when we look at, uh, do you say, Ex Machina, he's completely different. He can be like this... Real charming, sort of suave, heartfelt guy, and then he can just be like the scummiest man alive. And here, he's definitely on the scummy end of the scale. Whether he's playing his orderly self in what we assume is the real world, or playing the brothel owner in the sort of fancy world, and it's this sort of fancy world where the majority of the film takes place. As Baby Doll um, is when faced with being the bottom, she escapes into um, her own. This world of her own making where herself and several of the other girls in the institution are all dancers in this brothel that is bizarrely uh, takes in these orphan girls and puts them to work Um, further to this um, she is able to further slip into additional worlds whenever she distracts uh, these authority figures with her amazing dance ability um so which leads her Lisa further into her own mind as she engages in these flights of action fantasy, uh, which is really just a way, way for Zack Snyder to tie together all these different ideas for okay. a film that he's sort of stitching together here because basically what we're looking at with Stucker Punch is one of those unique situations where a director is been given free reign to do what the hell he wants <laughs> we've seen it with like Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain we've seen it perhaps to um, a lesser extent with uh, The Lost Empire um, and like Streets of Fire and again we see it here with Sucker Punch and Sansa is clearly just having a ball just like saying you know I want to do like a fantasy world, but we're going to have World War Two elements. Or I'm going to do a World War One movie, but again, we're going to have steampunk elements in here. And he's just having so much fun with it. And I think, in turn, the audience, is they're willing to just go along for the ride, and certainly when we get into the fantasy sequences, it's so much fun. But like you were saying, there's moments where it's sort of like... Creaking a bit the scenes where he's trying to keep it all within, within the rules of this universe in check um, And at the same time not remove too much of the fantasy and I think that's where one of the big issues comes is it becomes a little Unclear as to what's actually supposed to be happening and that's where if you watch it more than once um, You can sort of slowly sort of piece it together some sort of work will theory in your head which um, I was kind of happy I came out of this watch with other times I've never I've been a little unsure and it was sort of like the end of this one, I thought, okay, and now I have a working theory I can say, yeah, no, this is what the film's about.
1: Well, the film in in short is one of the lines. I don't remember the line exactly, but it's something like the world you control is more real than your pain or something like that. And that's one of the lines that um, Carla Gugina, who's the who plays the doctor in the real in the real world, and then she plays like the hen mom or something. In, yeah. in uh, the in in like the in in the fantasy brothel, and um, she says this, I believe, and then she kind of overhears it, and then that is that was that moment when she like falls into this world, and I think that the beauty of it is that you never know. I guess you never really know where like which part is fantasy and how far her fantasy is and how real this is until you come out of it. And then you kind of like, as we back back out towards the second half of the film, towards the ending, we start realizing that everything that's happened in the fantasy actually happened in real life. She's lived all of these things. She's actually done all of these things. She's actually hatched that escape plan. And, you know, she actually met all these girls because we saw these girls in one of the first scenes. I guess it gives these char- these ladies so much more character. And I think like I think one of the main things that's really great about this film, like I don't want to keep bashing it because it really it really is like how far you're willing to, to accept the narrative and the disjointedness of the story and kind of look past that force that forceful narrative of how everything goes together. Because it's it is. He he is having a lot of fun with this one. It it doesn't really have to make sense. Um, you kind of go in and you kind of enjoy the things that are going on. And I think that because I already saw it the first time, this time going in, I was able to enjoy that moment of kind of like being lost in these ladies. And I, I, I am a sucker for these things, just like for Alice, uh, Alice and Resident Evil, you know, their cool costumes and then their cool weaponry and like how they're doing all these like crazy fight scenes. And, you know, Zack Schneider definitely has his like, um, his slow motion action that is like staple to him and um and there's a there's a few moments of those which work like great in that sort of cgi visual world um and it's super pretty to look at and it, it, it's super fun in those fantasy moments um and and when you look a little deeper there there is a story in there that's being told to uh, a world where someone is just lost in their fantasy Um, to kind of, like, mask all the pain that that they're going through. And I appreciate that, you know? I appreciate that because the girls and everybody and I think the whole cast does a really good job with with the casting. I mean, Oscar... Oscar Isaac is definitely like, I didn't recognize him until I went back and I looked at IMDb and I was like, Oh my God, that's him. And he's, uh, he's just an amazing actor. Like he can't help, but want to like kind of punch him in the face. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cause he's just so horrible. Um, but he's such, he's such a skilled actor and it's such an asset to this film. Um, I mean the same with like Carla Gugino. Eh, Carla Gugino. I don't know how to say it. Um, yeah. it's it's just you know like i we like recently she had like gerald's game and you really like a lot of people praised her for her her acting and stuff and sh- to be honest she did a really good job as like as like uh, dr grosky or whatever you call her um i don't don't remember her i don't remember her other name her name i can't remember uh inside like the brothel the fantasy world um
0: She's just basically Madam. Yeah, yeah. So it's just Madam uh, Virogrowski, and in the yeah. in the other world, she's just Doctor Virogrowski. It's not really yeah. Unlike other characters, she doesn't get like any sort of like big changes really, apart from title.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then like you have the girls, you know, like um. I mean, I haven't seen I've seen all these girls in different movies um, throughout you know, like Jenna Malone. She was in a little uh supporting role in Pride and Prejudice. Um, and then, you know, you have Abby Cornish, which I've seen her in something else. I can't remember what. Uh, and then, you know, obviously there's Jamie Chung, which I like because she did a really great indie film called Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have Emily Browning, who's, who's pretty good also in this one. Um, she kind of always has that blank, weird look in her face, um. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's I guess it works for her in a certain way. Um, and then am I missing someone? Oh yeah, and I'm missing a, uh, Vanessa Hudgens, who it, it
0: seems to be constantly the way whenever people talk about this film, they always since we get at Vanessa Hudgens as Blondie.
1: She, she she kind of vanishes fairly quickly, and she she's kind of a weaker character, um, like the character itself, you know. Uh, yeah. But I mean all these girls have their skills and their abilities and they're they're super cool and i mean it's it sounds like a really lame reason but i kind of i kind of enjoyed uh i kind of enjoyed all of that that whole section of it (laughs) oh
0: yeah i mean definitely the this is where we obviously get into some of the main grouts with uh people who don't like psychopaths they feel that it's very over sexualized and it's very much of the male gaze at the same time i see numerous (laughs) Female cosplayers play as these characters, yeah. and seem like have like plenty of female fans of these films who say that you know it's these characters are very sort of empowered, they're tough and sexy, and that they they're not one or the other, and that there's perfect so balance of the two. So there's, I mean, you can just do a Google search, and you can bring up pages and pages yeah. of different feminist theory in relation to this I, movie. And I
1: mean, this is this is like the mind like this is like the mind. like this is the where you know you go in and you're stepping into a mind by doing talking of this movie because this is like the key of like main talk of like over sexualized women and um all the and then these women are all put into like very um kind of abused situations and they're very like uh, oppressed by the male figure um, yeah, if, if it says all those things, you know, I mean, I remembered one of the conversations I had with a friend and I had talked with this in another in another podcast with someone before. Um, and it, it's like, you know, my friend was talking about how uh, how, you know, women, uh, a, a good women movie would shouldn't be about their strength is in the trauma that they've been through. But it should be in the in them overcoming a situation organically, like how men would organically get through a situation. Um, and I get where she's coming from. Um, and I mean, sucker punch falls right into all those things, right? You know, you, you start yeah. with just baby doll, and she has an abusive stepfather, and she has she's stuck in the situation where you know all these girls are getting abused by the men around them. They're they're constantly like uh, threatening to be, be like, uh, be like, I don't know, touched by them and stuff like that, you know? And it's, and like harassed and everything, and it's kind of like, it's, I don't know, I mean, sometimes it's okay to just go into a movie and enjoy it for what it is. I, 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 personally feel that way about it. Um, I know that's not very feminist, but I like to keep an open mind when I go into films. And, you know, this is this is just an entertaining piece. Like, I mean, this is his passion project. And you can really see that I find a lot of times passion projects kind of always don't... are not very refined because you get lost in your passion a little. Yeah, And I think that I that's f- one of the issues here.
0: Yeah, I think... Th- I mean, this, again, is just a topic that we could go down is that I feel that there's a lot of people there who their dislike of certain films is because it doesn't fit into their personal their personal politics and yes i mean obviously why we could obviously argue about the over sexualization of these characters but at the same time these are characters who work in a brothel so of course they are going to be dressed very sexy when we go into the sort of fantasy sort of land it's again it's sort of that anime sort of action heroine sort of fancy dress-up that we do get and certainly when we look at like the character baby doll who's essentially she's wearing a japanese schoolgirl sailor outfit uh the whole sort of film when we look at like vanessa hudgens his character she's there with the goggles and i love the character design. i mean that was yeah. what something that drew me in back when we had the trailers of this film and when we had all the promo art for it and you saw these characters and they had like the one sheets and you had them done as like 1950s sort of pinup style posters yeah. and then you saw them just as like one-shot character prints and it was like each character had their own sort of thing that made them really sort of, sort of stand out um like you had jamie chung and she's obviously got all the different sort of like uh air force sort of pilot uniforms that she wears because she always seems to be the one that <laughs> whenever there's a vehicle to drive she always gets like to be the one who drives the mech or the plane or the helicopter and um I love how the the costumes have these subtle little changes yeah. as you go through the different sort of fantasies and it's only really sort of like baby doll whose costumes don't actually change. Um certainly Amber's is the most obvious. I mean she obviously has like when we get into like the fourth world which is like a futuristic world and she's got like the helmet with the uh with amber cross that wonderful sort of like uh stylized writing that the the titles are written in as well or, or if we like look at the bunny mech suit Uh, where it's got the huge bunnies logo (laughs) on the front and stuff and these are like little visual things I mean even just like the three giant samurai warriors they make no sense to be in a Japanese samurai world much less the fact that one of them has a big chain gun (laughs) Um, it makes no sense but I'm enjoying the ride I mean it's given me something I'm not seeing somewhere else and it's acknowledging early on that you know this is a fantasy film and as such, it's not bound by any sort of logic and stuff. So if I want to have these three girls going in, doing sort of swap maneuvers as they enter an orc-filled castle to go and fight dragons, then I can do that. And I can, and that's one of my things I love about Sucker Punch is the fact that it's given me something I haven't seen a hundred times before. Um, at the same time, it's treating these characters with the sort of dignity, not just having them sort of like the giggling uh, heads who are just there clearly just so that the male audience can get their rocks off it's like as i said when you see them going to the castle they're in proper swat formation they're not just like ambling in there yeah um like oh we're just three heavily armed chicks it's like no well he's actually actually put them through like different military and police procedural training and you can see that in how these characters move how they interact with the environments and certainly how they handle uh weapons and stuff and i think it's that additional sort of training, which really sort of helps, and certainly when we get into the fight scenes, the camera isn't, while it's obviously not, you know, far, far away, so we obviously doesn't, he knows the limits of his actresses when it comes to fighting ability, but he has it, the camera enough on them so that we can see them when they're doing sort of like the fight maneuvers and stuff, and at the same time, you believe that they're actually kicking a lot of ass. It's not that the camera's right on top of the character and. It's sort of covering for the fact that the actor can't particularly fight that well, as we've seen, like, some of the, like, t Evil movies, where the camera was either, like, cutting kind away of too quick or it was just right on top of the characters so that you couldn't really tell what was going on. You just assume that they're kicking a lot of ass and you would just, the real sort of payoff would just be, like, the end shot where you see the scattered bodies. But here we're seeing real flow with the fight scenes, especially in, like the World War One fight scene where they're doing a lot of, like, entrenched fighting, which is like, throwing the hatchet, and just... Mm-hmm. There always seems to be, like, these cool little moves to break things up. I think the only issue I have, really, when it comes to the action scenes is just when we get into the fourth world, and it just feels like a step too far. I feel like... I feel I felt that not only was it overworked with the slow-motion aspects, but I felt that I'm getting... It's sort of like a, you've 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 been fed all this candy and now you're sort of feeling the side effects of it. You kind of <laughs> need something a little more substantial at this point, something to sort of tide you over. And at this point Saxon is like, No, have more candy. See, you want another <laughs> round of of action fantasy here and you're yeah. kinda of like, No, I'm I'm about ready to go now.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. see see that's the thing is, you know, it, it's only so... M- I think that that's some of the main issues of the film, is is, is that there is a lot of craft, a lot of detail, and um, I think in a rewatch, it all comes together a lot nicer than the first time. And you could argue all these issues and all these things for days, as as a lot of people have done, and we, we're not going to go and do that here. Uh, but I mean... It, like... It's not a horrible film. It has its fun moments, and it, it's entertaining as heck. You know, there's a lot of things to, to like about a movie like this. It, you just gotta, like, <laughs> let the kind of abstract story kind of take <laughs> its way. Um, and that's, that's okay, you know. Sometimes, I mean, I like entertaining films. So, I don't really mind that so much, you know. Um,
0: now, why well, I not also sort of discuss here is the soundtrack because oh,
1: yeah.
0: the soundtrack is awesome. largely covers <laughs> and it is awesome and i mean we open with uh, sweet dreams who made of this thankfully they did not do the marilyn manson uh, cover which is just like everywhere i think there's like a, you can name off the top of your head at least a dozen horror films which use that bloody cover version oh. instead they went with the uh, emily browning cover which is really sort of I don't know it's kind of very modernized and it's very haunting at the same time, and it works perfectly. And the yeah. fact we go from there into um, the Yoav cover of "Where Is My Mind," which, seeing as it's Baby Doll going for the asylum, I thought it was rather fitting that she's asking "Where is my mind?" when uh, when you're in an asylum. Um,
1: <laughs> you know, this movie would. I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, you know, how successful this one would have been as like a musical. <laughs> Just let the music do all the talking.
0: Well I mean there's so many I I mean the fact that Baby Door has her own sort of theme music in many ways because uh whenever she's like ready to you know take us into these fancy worlds because her dancing's that incredible and there was actually supposed to be scenes of her more scenes of dancing, but um basically it's actually i thought that people would be too distracted by the dancing and they wouldn't know how to sort of process it so he adds it the way he's now cuts it is that she goes into the dance and then we're into the fantasy world which i mean it's kind of confusing first time you watch it so like why are we in this world and what's the people in the supposed real world seeing while this is happening
1: yeah see Um, that was one of my problems was you know like you're in this world and you're watching her and she always like, you know, you you start off the first time, you kind of just have her have a snowflake flutter by her eyebrows and uh, her <laughs> eyebrows her eye, her eyelashes as she closes her eyes and then and then you jump into this fantasy world. And as you get through the fantasies, you kind of see her doing a little bit more swaying and that's the extent of it pretty much by the end of it. All you see is you're she's swaying. And you're just kind of <laughs> like I don't know what you're seeing. <laughs> like, I don't know what's so mesmerizing about this. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. And I think it's really only, I think it's the second time we do this, uh, where they're trying to get the lighter off the high roller. And uh, you can see that obviously the time that's passed because of the amount of ash that's on his cigar um, that, that drops off. And I, again, Zack Snyder, I'm probably just going to, I'm just going to go on record and say that I'm probably one of the biggest apologizers of Zack Snyder. As a director, I, for myself, if we look at his career up to the DC era, um, I I think it's all been really, really fantastic. There's something in each of those films that I've really enjoyed, and has really made him stand out to myself as a director. When we're obviously into the DC world, it's more controlled because you know there's a big studio pictures, and you know they want to see certain things, they want to see His back, so you can't really. Compare his director style when he's free and able to do more things than what he's obviously done with like Superman movies and the various issues that and gripes that uh, the fanboys have had with those movies and I think certainly when we look at this, I mean visually he he knows how to craft a a sequence and throughout Sucker Punch he proves this time and time again uh, even if he is a little heavy-handed with the slow motion at times, but you know when we have army of me used and it becomes like this you know the theme tune for baby doll it's sort of like her battle cry is bjork's army of me yeah. and it's like when you listen to that song it's basically like you know you're gonna fuck with me and i'm going to be like this complete wrecking crew um that is just going to go and fuck you up and that's what baby girl doll is essentially does even though the dead eyes of emily browning can be a little distracting at times she's She's not very emotive.
1: No, too
0: um, And I'm, that's why I'm kind of glad you got three other sort of sidekicks with her to sort of break it up a bit. Because I,
1: I, think that's a, that's I think I'm starting to feel that that's the main thing. You know, like her career was really great in a series of unfortunate events, and then it was kind of downhill from there. You know, like she she plays these like very unemotive characters. Um, I I don't even think she was that emotive in like Pompeii, and you watch this and you're kind of like you know I was interested in seeing like all these other girls are so flamboyant you know there's so so much energy and so much so unique and so much life to them you know you see Jamie Chung and she's you know she has her little like lollipop and then she's like going <laughs> badass in her little mech uh, in her little mech rabbit and stuff like that and then you know you have like. And then you have even Blondie, she's toting these gigantic guns and just going at it. And then you have like this really fun like um, Jenna Malone who plays Rocket and she's just this badass short hair blonde chick. And it's so nice to see her in this character because she's always like, I mean I saw her first in Pride and Prejudice and she was playing um, the younger sister, Lydia, who's just kind of like this big flirt who makes bad decisions and stuff like that, you know? And you see her in this one and she's so fun, like she's so like, you know, there's kind of like, of course, this darkness to their character because of, you know, just the the pain they've gone through to be there and the regrets they have in life and stuff like that. The fact is, you know, all these girls are in this institution and you never really know why they're exactly there. And you never know kind of their story and how much of the fantasy story we can believe that is a real story. So you never really like you kinda just see these characters and they have this kind of life to them. It, it's kind of like the way that Baby Doll sees these characters and the strength that they have and the leadership that each of them have in in this sort of world.
0: I mean, just I mean we obviously talked about the, the girls and stuff. I just wanna to quickly touch on some of their the smaller bit characters in there. I mean, we obviously have Scott Glenn as the wise man. He's sort of like the uh, he's sort of like the guy who binds the all these fantasy because he turns up as like the wise man, he's the general, um, and then randomly he turns up at the end and um Scott Glenn I really like. Um I think, you know, as a cool movie fan he's got that, that yeah. sort of appeal for me. He's been in a lot of things that I really like. Um yeah.
1: He, he he seems to really fall really well into these roles um, he plays like kind of like the sensei character in in like uh, Daredevil like the Netflix Daredevil So yeah
0: and I mean that's essentially what he is here he's basically the guy who is there to provide the rules it's sort of like okay you're going to find these four items you're going to find the knife the map the fire and he sort of foretells how the film is going to play out in many ways. And I really liked his character, even though I suppose you could cut him out. But, you know, I don't want to cut Scott Glenn out of my picture. <laughs> um, we also have the grotesque cook, who I only bring up just because I've been playing a lot of Little Nightmares recently. And uh, he reminds me of the cook in that as well.
1: <laughs> I know, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, if you like video games, definitely play Little more Nightmares because... It seems to be taking a lot of cues from this film. Certainly in terms of design. Um, but uh, we also get. Uh, John Hamm. Who puts in a cameo role. As both the Doctor and. This mythical high roller character. Who is coming to the brothel. To who Baby Girl going to be. Sorry Baby dolls going to be sold to. Um, and he's almost. Again he's almost like Oscar Isaac. He's very unrecognisable. And it's the voice that gives him away. Um, but. Again, I mean, John Ham. At times, I often feel that less is more with him. The, the smaller the role I see in him in, the more I appreciate him. Such as like when I saw him in the Black Mirror Christmas Special, White Christmas, and he's sort of like the character who sort of ties all the stories together. Um, I really liked his liked him more than like when I watched Mad Men, and he's obviously Don Draper, and, you know the main guy um i find that you know i'm getting too much of him there but you know i'm sure i'm sure there's a whole group of people listening to this who like no we must have more john ham because i know he certainly has his fans yeah like kim no (laughs) no i Uh,
1: i haven't i haven't watched mad men so i have no like i don't really know much about john ham um for a moment there I thought he was Army Hammer and I, that was only because I just finished watching Call Me By Your Name so he looked really similar to him but I think uh, I was I don't know if I'm crazy or if it's that actually like they look very similar
0: Obviously I mean Zack Snyder obviously described this as Alice in Wonderland with machine guns. I'm happy to accept that analogy for this one Certainly I would like to see him die. I don't want to see a Sucker Punch 2 but I want to see him being given a project where he has such free reign to go and just like go crazy and do fantasy just like basically throw fantasy ideas on the screen um like we get here i don't i don't know this i would like to see him do a project like this again um but at the same time i don't want to see these characters again as i feel that we have our story here that by the end of the story i'm happy with how it ends i feel that perhaps it goes a tad dark in the final quarter and it goes perhaps a little too dark um in many ways i feel that the the sort of dark moments at the end i think they could have really done without some of it and um it felt like mainly just a way for znyder to sort of bring us back into um his first world it's yeah. sort of like the sort of real world. And this was the only way he could see it was by s- swinging the hatchet, which uh, unfortunately was also uh, one of the issues I had with, um, with Tar Sims, the fall. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I would like to, if he can ever get away from those uh, DC dollars, I'd like to see him come back to us and make more interesting movies like this, because I think this is where, where snyder really needs to be and be appreciated for and given the directorial freedom that he really uh, really deserves
1: you know i mean i think that i think that you have a point um i think everybody needs to kind of get back to something that they really want to do because i mean you know obviously maybe he really does want to do the dc films i don't know um but
0: (laughs) keep watering the pool that's that's uh, so it's hard to argue with those but at the same time i mean you've got to think well here we have a director essentially working under tight restrictions he all he's doing is getting aggro off sweaties and stuff so
1: you know the thing is the thing is sometimes it's nice to have something like this um i know it's like for me i don't think sucker punch is like a perfect movie i think there's there's a lot of things that stopped me from re-watching it. And, you know, one of the main reasons I did rewatch it was because it, this is your After Hours pick. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's all on me. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I'm happy that I did because I, I appreciate it a lot more. And I think that the second watch actually had a lot more. And I think that for those of you who watched this the first time and didn't really like it and had some opinions of it, um you know in terms of you know generally what i was talking about maybe it's good to go back and check it out a second time you might be able to grasp some of those details that you didn't because in the in the first time just to see how the story puts pulls together because um, i'm definitely seeing a lot more reason in a lot of the stuff that he does and it's not you know it's not bad to have a movie that makes you think about things like you know even if it's Things more serious topics like feminism and that sort of thing. It's not a it's not a bad thing to have these movies that you can discuss that because I mean it creates a divide in kind of like it creates discussion and that's what you know movie fans do and it's I think I think that that's a very healthy way to to have movies like this when you do passion projects and this happens. I mean, just like you know, recently we had um, Under the Silver Lake came out and I don't know I don't think that's widely released yet. But I mean that movie created a lot of divide and I think that that movie actually um, if we were to do further viewing is a movie I'd pair with this one
0: okay um I mean for myself when it obviously comes to further viewing, I mean, there's different tracks you could obviously go down. I mean if you want to do more sort of like tough girl gangs I mean you are if you want to like to look at sort of girl gangs I mean you can look at things such as like Switchblade Sisters you can look at uh, The Stray Cat Rock series and they'll give you like super, super tough sort of girl gangs And like when we look at the Pinky Violence movies as well you've got plenty of tough female characters there In um, And it's just such a really fun genre to sort of explore there as certainly one thing Japanese cinema does well is to give, and much like Hong Kong cinema, is to give us really tough, kick-ass ladies. And and um, certainly those series really sort of delivered. Um, in terms of sort of like uh, stylistically, um, I would sort of pair this up with like Southland Tales, which is another film like this that I've probably got into way too many arguments defending. And, is it, again, it's always been the case of, oh, I don't get it, it's stupid. And <laughs> it's sort of like, yes, it perhaps doesn't make sense on like that literal level, but a lot David Lynch movies don't make a whole of sense, but we praise them movies. But, I mean, as as we've said, it's each to their own, and uh, I think I'll just apologise now to anyone I've offended in the past, like the guys over at French Star Sunday, uh, who I am. Um, uh, at the uh, UK Lancaster, I got into a rather heated discussion of uh, defending Southland Tales, and I think that's why I'm going to pair it with Sucker Punch here, um, as well as I'm going to put uh, Tarzan to the Fall, which is way too under the radar and unappreciated for the beautiful, stunning film that it is. Um, again, it's never fly to fancy as a in 1940s injured stuntman. We um, gales. This young girl with uh, this fantasy sort of tale about these heroes that are brought together. Uh, one of who is Charles Darwin. Yes, the guy who wrote uh, Origin of the Species is a hero in this story. And he basically uses this tale to gather these resources um, around the hospital that he's currently in, um, based in. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those those would be my sort of viewing. I mean, I don't know if there's anything else you would want to put with this, Kim, or...
1: I mean, under the Silver Lake was really for um, kind of like uh, it's more of like the stylistic, uh, disjointed fantasy narrative <laughs> style. Um, it's it's uh, that one that one is well worth it. Uh, I don't know. I really I have I think that I think that's my pick. Uh, I don't okay. I don't have anything else to add.
0: Well, I mean, this brings us obviously to the end of another edition of Movies and Tea. I'd like to say thank you as always to my wonderful co-host Miss Kim Lowe.
1: Thanks for getting me to uh, take a look again at Sucker Punch.
0: That's okay. Um, obviously, on the next episode, we are going to be diving headfirst into Season 2 of Movies in Tea, and our director of choice is going to be Guillermo del Toro. So, our first film that we're going to be kicking off the season with will be the rather unusual twist on the vampire tale with Kronos, um, which... I'm very excited to look at it. it. Not only contains the scene which made my top hundred movie moments of all time, um, but um, yeah, it's I mean it's very sort of classic Del Toro and really launched him in, as this talent to watch on uh, when it when it sort of first came out. Um, but that's obviously our next episode, which will be coming up soon. Um, of course uh, if you want to check out any of our previous episodes you can do via our blog which is movies and tea podcast.wordpress.com. Um and you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and um, as always you can subscribe to the show vote on Podomatic and iTunes as well so uh, any feedback you want to leave us or uh, ratings is always appreciated uh, but until next time uh, thank you for listening and this is Edward Jones signing off and saying goodnight